This is the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. We exist to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, it's good to see you all. We're going to finish our series through Acts this morning, and we're simply going to cover Acts chapters 20 through 28. 20 through 28. So, if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them to Acts chapter 20. Now, you guys got lucky because it's Family Sunday, so I can't go as long as I would like to. So, we're going to to sail through this. And in a narrative form, a story form, watch what God's doing in his people, particularly through the Apostle Paul, as he continues to widen and widen and widen the ministry and the mission and the impact of the gospel in the first century. Um, Jake and I spent most of this last week in Orlando with about uh, 300 uh, pastors from around the country as part of a uh, coaching network that we're both in. Um, learning more about, looking at, um, kind of doing a checkup on uh, the systems that operate behind the scenes in a church that empower churches to to fulfill the mission of Christ that he's given to churches. Part of the reason I love these gatherings is it's the most uh, diverse group of ministry people I'm ever around uh, at a given event, about 50% black pastors, about 50% white pastors, a good number of female ministers and pastors in the room. We had Methodists and Presbyterians and Baptists and non-denominationals and Foursquare and all kinds of people, all really coming together simply out of a desire to be better at what God's called us to do, to be better at what God's called us to do. That's part of our life, part of what um, we're to be doing as followers of Jesus. Uh, When we look at the book of Acts, The reason we titled it or subtitled the series, what we did, made for this, is because we really believe that this is what Scripture teaches. That as followers of Jesus, you and I are to be about individually, collectively, organizationally as a church, the kind of expansive commitment to missional living that we see in Acts, to sharing Jesus with people, to gathering together in large groups and in small groups, submitting ourselves to the Word of God, to one another, to caring for one another, to providing for one another, to living generously both financially and in terms of our time and our attitude and our spirit toward people. Now, let's pick up and let's um, just kind of walk through. I'll guide you as we uh, touch Acts chapter 20 through 28, and then I want, to, I want to simply make a few observations at the very end about what was true in Paul's life and in the way God was working there, what has been true throughout church history, and what is true for us today. And then I'll leave you with a challenge. Let's pick up in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 7 as we look at a, a curious passage. I won't unpack this a whole lot because we don't have time. But Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight, a long church service. 
There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep, something none of you would do while someone's preaching. But some people have been known to do throughout history. I used to get such a kick out of uh, watching Sharon's dad, uh, faithful uh, follower of Jesus, uh, committed churchgoer, but it did not take him long into a message to fall asleep. And I remember being, I'm going to mess this up, Sharon, but we were at someone's church, maybe her grandmother's church, and we were at the back. She's nodding yes, so I'm right so far. I'm not going to look anymore. I'm just going to tell the story as I remember it, so it's better. So we're at the back of the church. There's a, a pew, and then there's a little, there's a little like, wall there. Um, and we're all sitting there listening uh, to the guy preaching. And he wasn't the most dynamic, right? I'll give her dad that. Um, but in just a few minutes, he shakes himself awake, and his leg jerks, and he kicks the wall right in front of us. I'll always remember that. I love it. So Eutychus is in this window. Uh, and Paul's been preaching for a while. Verse 9 says, Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Paul's going on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Don't fall asleep when people are proclaiming the gospel. <laughs> Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. I like that. Much ado about nothing. Let's eat. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Now, the text is not clear whether they were greatly comforted that the young man was live or that Paul was finished preaching because he'd gone all night long. Now, Paul is headed toward Jerusalem at this time. He stops in, in Ephesus. He encourages the elders of Ephesus to be faithful to the task that God has given them of leading the churches in Ephesus. They're grieved. They're sad because he tells them, you're not ever going to see me again. The Holy Spirit's been clear with Paul that he is headed toward the end of his race. He's going to Jerusalem, and everywhere Paul goes, he kind, of, he kind of stirs things up. So Paul goes to Jerusalem, chapter 21, he's arrested, chapter 22, chapter 22, let's pick it up. Now, in chapter 22, Paul is speaking... He's speaking here to fellow Jews, and he's sort of unpacking his story. He's saying, you guys know who I was. You know how I lived. You know that when I was on the way to Damascus, I saw Jesus risen, and it changed my life. I am who I have always been. And he says, furthermore, this is consistent with what God told us would happen. Then in verse 21, in verse 21 of chapter 22, he says this, Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now to ethnic, racist Jews around Paul, this was too much. Verse 22, The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. You ever been on the receiving end of a religious person's ire? I'll say more about that in just a second. Now, here's what's 
interesting. Uh, Paul had, had been under the care or the arrest, technically, but was being guarded by Claudius Lysias, who was the commander of the Roman garrison in Jerusalem. Now, the Jews are demanding that something be done with Paul. So Lysias is like, you know what? That's fine. Let's bind him and flog him, which is biblical for whip the tar out of him. Whip the tar out of him. Well, as they're getting ready to do this, Paul says, would you do this even to a Roman citizen? Paul throws out his citizenship card, and they get nervous. The guys working with Paul stop. They go back to Lysias and say, hey, this guy's a Roman citizen. We've arrested him without cause. We're about to flog him without cause. Lysias is amazed. He comes to him and he says, man, my citizenship costs me a bunch. How much did you have to pay for yours? He's almost talking to him like a peer now. And Paul says, I didn't pay anything for mine. I was born a Roman citizen. And that shakes up Lysias a bit. So he provides extra good care for the apostle Paul. Uh, Paul is brought before the Sanhedrin and the chief priests the next day. And let's uh, pick up the story in chapter 23. Chapter 23. He begins speaking and sharing again his testimony, his witness, the story of what God had done in his life. Can I just tell you, sometimes sharing the gospel with someone really is that simple. You don't have to do an exegesis of Romans with them. And if you don't know what that means, you definitely shouldn't do it. You just share what you've experienced of God in your own life, what God has done in your own life. Can we not all do this? We can do this. If we can share about a restaurant we love, if we can share uh, the accomplishments of our children or our spouse or our friends, if we can tell someone about a movie we've seen, a book we've read, a sporting event we went to, we can certainly tell people what God has done and is doing in our lives. So, as you can imagine, this stirs up the Sanhedrin and the chief priests as Paul is talking to them. Paul, uh, in a very shrewd way, you should go back and read it yourself later, gets the Sadducees and the Pharisees to turn on themselves by talking about resurrection. The Pharisees believed in resurrection. The, the, uh, the Sadducees did not. So all of a sudden, the heat is off Paul a little bit, and they turn on one another. But it comes back to Paul. Let's pick up verse 10. Acts 23, verse 10. The dispute became so violent that the commander, this is Lysias here, was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near to Paul and said, Can I just say this? If you want to feel the nearness of the Lord, be about the Lord's business. If you want to experience God in your midst in a way that is clear, in a way that is discernible, be about what God has called you to. Because in the midst of that, in the midst of truly living for Christ, in an active way that pierces the darkness, God shows up again and again and again in your life. Verse 11, The following night the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. 
Now, this would have been exciting to Paul. Paul's had his eye on Rome anyway. To reach Rome was, in a sense, to, to reach the world with the gospel. That's where Paul wanted to go. Look at verse 12. The next morning, this is verse 12 of chapter 23. 23, verse 12. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. So this was not one or two weirdos that were militant and had had a bad meal. This is 40 Jewish men. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Religious people, religious people, can get pretty worked up. This is crazy that they were so worked up they were going to kill Paul for what they um, understood to be violations of the law, the very law that taught you shall not murder. But it didn't matter to them. Things were so black and white and square and rough that to disagree with them was to be on God's bad side. That's a dangerous place for us to get as human beings. Because you know what? We all err, don't we? We make mistakes, don't we? Do you understand some things you feel like more fully and more clearly now than you did five years ago maybe? Or eight years ago? Although maybe what you believed five years ago or eight years ago that you have grown and changed on, you were just as confident then of. I know that's my case. I have to be careful. Because whatever I believe, I confidently believe. 150%. I've shared with you guys that the first pastor uh, I worked under when I was a youth minister um, would laughingly say, uh, Matt, not, uh, Matt might not always be right, but he sure is confident. The religious people here decide they're going to kill Paul, and they work up a scheme to have this done, to have Paul transferred, and they're going to ambush him on the way. Paul's nephew gets wind of this. He goes to Lysias. He tells the Roman commander about this, and Lysias says, uh, we got to get Paul out of Jerusalem. Not because he loved Paul in a sense, but because he was not to, about to lose a Roman citizenship, a, a, a Roman citizen that was under his guard and under his care. So he writes a letter to the governor, Felix, the Roman governor of this area of Judea who's in Caesarea. And he tells him some about Paul, and then he has Paul uh, sent under guard by Roman troops to Caesarea. Now, Let's take a look at Paul before Felix. Paul before Felix in Acts chapter 24. Paul gets there. He's brought before Felix. Some Jews are there still stirring things up. And Paul just does the same thing that Paul's been doing. He says, let me tell you about God and this man, Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does that. He does that. Look at verse 24 of Acts chapter 24. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, great name, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, isn't that an interesting grouping? Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. Especially, it seems, when Paul got to this last part about the judgment to come. Felix wasn't really down for that. 
He said, you may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. Some things have never changed in politics, right? They were the same in the first century as they are now. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. There was this mixture of pure and impure motives, it seems, in in Felix. Felix was genuinely intrigued by what Paul was saying about faith in Christ. And on the side, he was out to make a buck as well. He was hoping to be given a bribe by Paul, and then he'd release him. Look at verse 27. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. All right, so um, Felix, as governor, is succeeded by Festus, a couple of fantastic names. Any of you have uh, twin boys maybe coming up one day? Maybe you don't even know yet. I'm not going to dive too close into this subject because I already burned myself once during a run-through with it. But uh, maybe you're, you're going to have twin boys one day. Consider, would you, biblical names like Felix, Felix and Festus. Felix and Festus. All right, so now Paul is standing before Festus. Same thing. Paul just keeps sharing about Jesus Christ. No matter what they do to him, no matter how long they hold him, he just keeps sharing. Look at verse 11 of chapter 25. Paul says, if, however, after sharing about Jesus and making a case that he knows himself not to be guilty of any legal crime before the Jews or the Romans, if, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Now, in Paul's day, as in most of the time of the Roman Empire, if a Roman citizen appealed to Caesar, all things stopped. And they were granted that wish. They were guarded and cared for until they could appear before Caesar. Basically, they appealed to what in their world was the the highest court of judgment, Caesar himself. And this is what Paul does. He uses his Roman citizenship, and behind the scenes, behind the scenes, God is at work. you got to think, Paul's been under house arrest, basically, in Caesarea for over two and a half years by this point. And now he appeals to Caesar to stand before Caesar in court proceedings. That's how God's getting him to Rome. Do you think Paul could have ever imagined when he said, you're going to testify to me not only in Jerusalem but in Rome? Paul could have conceived how God was going to work this out? I think probably not. Can I just tell you that in your life right now this morning, God is working things out for your good and his glory in ways that you can't understand right now. In ways that don't make sense to you. In ways that aren't a direct path. Because God is far more concerned about your development, about you being made into the image of his son, than he is a direct fast path from A to B. And yet behind the scenes, God is indeed at work. Now, What happens is King Agrippa comes down, Herod Agrippa II, king of the Jews, comes down to Caesarea to 
hang out a little bit and spend some time with Festus. He comes down there and Festus says, hey, uh, Agrippa, I don't know what to do with this dude named Paul. Let me tell you about him. Over, over dinners, they talk. He kind of unpacks some about the Apostle Paul. And Agrippa says, man, I'd like to hear this guy myself. Now, before we, we get to uh, Paul and Agrippa in chapter 26, let me just help you understand contextually a little bit about who Herod Agrippa II was. Herod Agrippa II, long line of Herods, you'll find a lot of them mentioned in the New Testament, but Agrippa II's uncle was Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was who beheaded John the Baptist. John the Baptist. So this is, this is uncle, Herod Antipas. Father, Herod Agrippa I, Herod Agrippa I was uh, the man who had James executed and Peter thrown in prison. Now, kids, here's a cool thing, though, because you don't mess with God's people. Herod Agrippa I is also the one that an angel struck dead after setting Peter free, and then he was eaten by worms. One of my favorite places in all of Scripture. I remember, Sharon, that you enjoyed that story, too. So, that's his father. His grandfather, Herod the Great, was the one who, who so viciously tried to kill baby Jesus when he was born. This is the line that Herod comes from. Paul is not surrounded here by friends. So what does Paul do? Does he shy away? Does he water down what he's saying? Not at all. Acts 26, Paul comes before Festus, King Agrippa II, and he shares the same thing. He just tells what God has been doing. He tells about his Damascus Road experience again. And how the risen Lord showed up and changed his life. And how he had to be, as a follower of Christ, about the business of Christ. This was God's calling and commission in his life. Now, he talks about the resurrection of the dead. And how Jesus was the first of many to come. And how God has called him to bring this message to the Gentiles. And look at verse 24, chapter 26. Chapter 26, verse 24. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. Now, Festus may be on to something here if he wasn't talking to Paul. Some people's great learning does seem to drive them insane. I know a lot of parents have kids come back from college kind of uh, midstream and be like, what are they doing there? What are they teaching you? I'm not even sure they live in the same universe we do. What's going on with you, child? Right? He says, come on, Paul. We're in the real world. We know people aren't resurrected. Don't talk crazy. Verse 25, Paul says, I am not insane. Most excellent Festus. Paul replied, what I am saying is true, listen to this, and reasonable and reasonable. Paul says, what I am saying will stand up to human reason. It will stand up and make an intellectual defense. The king, speaking about King Agrippa II here, who's with Festus listening, the king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done 
in a corner. I like this. He says, we've not been sharing the message of Christ in the shadows. We've been out in the community. We've been in the town square. We've been open about declaring Jesus as Savior and Lord. And then Paul addresses King Agrippa himself. King Agrippa, verse 27. Do you believe the prophets? Do you believe the prophets? Remember, King Agrippa II is king of the Jews. Paul says, I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains, except for these chains. Paul is realizing that there's opportunities all around him to share about Jesus with people in his life. Paul could not have dreamed up these circumstances. He could not have imagined testifying before Felix and Festus and King Agrippa II himself in front of listening and accusing Jews as well on his way to Rome. Festus and Agrippa send Paul on his way by ship to Italy, headed for Rome, and the ship gets in a storm. And Paul had warned the sailors about this, but their own sailing geniuses said, no, let's go ahead, it's going to be fine. They get in some trouble. Let's look at uh, chapter 27, verse 20. 27, 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Let me say, maybe metaphorically, that's where you are this morning. Maybe that's how you feel about your own life before God. Maybe it feels like in your own world personally, you've not seen the sun or the stars for many, many days, months, or even years. Maybe you've given up hope on God's love for you, on His redeeming grace, on His power through the Holy Spirit to set you free of the things that haunt you that control you. Can I just implore you this morning? Have faith. Don't lose hope. If the resurrection is possible, if it's true, all things are easily possible with God. Verse 21, after they had gone a long time without food, working so hard to keep the boat from sinking, they're not even eating, Paul stood up before them and said, men, You should have taken my advice. Not the best timing for Paul. You can imagine him saying, sit down and shut up, Paul. This is not the time we're hungry, we're angry, and we're without hope. You should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage. Because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be lost. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong, not only to whom I serve, to whom I know, to whom I love, but to whom I belong, to whom I belong, and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. 
And the angel stands here and says, you know what, Paul? When it comes to who's going to live and where you're going to end up, the storm doesn't have the last say. The storm doesn't get to determine. Some of you need to know that, that the storms in your life don't get to ultimately determine who you become. They don't get to determine where you end up. You must stand trial. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. He's not just going to save you, Paul. He's going to save all of those around you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Now, final chapter. Paul reaches Rome, Acts chapter 28. He begins, as he often does, meeting first with the Jews. Look at verse 23. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, explaining about the kingdom of God, and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. So this is just a quick reminder that all of Scripture, including the Old Testament, has Jesus as its center. Paul is explaining to them about Jesus and persuading them from the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. We've seen this, right? We're not shocked by this. Some accept, some reject. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding you will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For the people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Part of what we see throughout Acts is that salvation is entirely attributed to God, and disbelief and reaction and rejection is entirely attributed to us. Verse 28, therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. We know that within a few short years, Paul would be dead, executed under the reign of of Nero, as would Peter. Now, let me do this. Let me briefly, briefly share three observations with you that were true in Paul's day, and we see particularly through these chapters in his life have been true throughout church history, and they are true for us this morning. The first is this, that God regularly provides opportunities for those who are open to sharing. God regularly provides opportunities for those who are open to sharing. How long has it been since before you left the house in the morning, you took an intentional moment to bow your head in prayer and say, God, send me people today to talk with about you. Send me people today to pray for. Help me be sensitive today. God, grant me that through the guidance of your Holy Spirit, I could discern where you're working today. Because you see, from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 28, you know who the main character of Acts is? It's 
It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that comes on disciples in power. It's the Holy Spirit that pierces hearts and saves them as Peter's preaching. It's the Holy Spirit that in worship comes on uh, the church in Antioch, sets aside Paul and Barnabas for special work. It's the Holy Spirit that directs Paul and others where they're going and when they're going to get there and opens Lydia's heart and mind to the truth. And on and on we could go. It's God in His Spirit directing Paul in this crooked path toward His perfect purpose for Paul. It's the Holy Spirit that arranges divine encounters in your life and mine. But God is almost never going to do it if you're not ready and you're not willing. If you're too busy to stop and notice people, if your mind is on everything else, if you've forgotten that we don't simply wrestle with flesh and blood, but spirits and principalities, that there's a spiritual uh, reality at work in your life, in your life today when you leave here, and in everyone's lives that you encounter, in school, in your neighborhood, at work, wherever you frequent or hang out. And here's, here's what I would encourage you to do. Always be willing. Always be willing, but don't be weird. Always be willing, but don't be weird. And when I say stuff, don't cold call people right in the middle of nothing. Let God arrange divine encounters. That's his business. Don't find some mom with three kids screaming and crying in her basket at Publix and you go up and say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus right now? That's an inopportune time. And she may hit you in the head with a can of vegetables. Be willing, but don't be weird. And if you're not sure if you're weird, ask people around you. They know. And they can help you dial your weirdness down and be sensitive to the movement of the Spirit. Second observation. The power, and don't miss this, the power of evangelism, the power of evangelism is in the message, not the messenger. The power of evangelism is in the message, not the messenger. The power of what you're sharing is in what you're sharing, not in your life. And what I mean by that is so often we think, man, I'm just not, my life is not together enough to share about Jesus. Can I just say, sometimes that means you're perfectly suited to share about Jesus. And to say to someone what they probably know already, if they know you at all, man, you know my life is a mess right now. And that breaks my own heart. And it causes me to press into Jesus. The only hope I have is Jesus. I told one of our kids uh, a couple of weeks ago about parenting. I said, you know what? Um, your mom and I, we are sinful parents parenting sinful kids. We need God's grace. We need the gospel. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to know a bunch of Bible. If they knew and believed a bunch of Bible, they'd be Christians already. The power's in the message, not in the messenger. If you know Paul's story and you know his own statements about himself, he wasn't very eloquent. He was not a good verbal communicator. But Paul had already discovered that the power wasn't in him as the messenger. It was in the message he was sharing. It was in the Holy Spirit's ability to, to latch onto, inhabit, and use the words that he was speaking to pierce human hearts and open human minds. J.I. Packer, in a, 
a fantastic book that I highly recommend to you. Uh, if you've got the app open right now and you're following along, there's a link to it at the bottom. The, the title of the book is Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. It says this, Evangelism is a work of communication in which Christians make themselves mouthpieces for God's message of mercy to sinners. You say, is it that simple? Yes, it's that simple. Packer goes on to say, evangelism is man's work. But the giving of faith is God's. What I want you to hear now is that evangelism doesn't mean that you shared the love and truth of Jesus with someone and they responded positively. It simply means you shared the love and message with Jesus with someone. That is evangelism. Their response is up to God. But evangelism is simply, is simply, basically, the evangel sharing the good news. You share the good news. This is what Paul is doing. You notice throughout the last eight, nine chapters of Acts, there's not a lot of people giving their lives to Jesus, is there? Does that stop Paul from sharing? Not at all. He keeps evangelizing. He keeps sharing. I just I want you to hear this morning that... that your weakness submitted to Christ becomes your strength. The very thing often that you and I think causes us to be disqualified from sharing Jesus and talking about God's love and his goodness and our commitment to him and the beauty of his church, however imperfect it may be, the very thing that you see as a weakness when submitted to Christ becomes your strength. It's your humanness that people relate to, not your perfection. You ever met somebody who was just so together they were gross? Like, ah, oh, you know? Truth is, everybody's weird. If you knew them close enough, you'd see where they mess things up. It's our humanness that draws people to us. Point them to Christ and His grace. You can't save them anyway. You're not hope for them. You simply, by God's grace, know the one who is. Tell them about your Jesus. And what he's done for you. Last observation. The message needs to match the moment. The message you share needs to match the moment. If we had time to go through and to analyze what Paul said every time he was speaking, whether to the elders and chief priests in the Sanhedrin or to Felix or to Festus or to King Agrippa I or to the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. They were all his story, but they were different. And as you look throughout the book of Acts, the message has to match the moment. What I'm saying here is maybe God has given you an opportunity to wind up in a conversation with someone who's really struggling with uncertainty and despair and maybe self-doubt because they've just lost their job, right? Be willing, but don't be weird. So don't let them share. And then as soon as they finish sharing their heartbreak and their fear and their uncertainty, you say, hey, do you know where you're going when you die? That's weird. That's not letting the message match the moment. What you do with them there is you empathize with them. You tell them you're going to be praying for them and you're going to check back in on them. You ask them how specifically, aside from being given a job, you can be praying for them right now. And then you pray for them. 
And then you let the Spirit guide the conversation. Maybe after you pray for them, they say something like, Man, thank you so much. I haven't been to church in years. In years. Maybe I should go. Maybe my family and I need to be back in church. Just be where the Spirit is and say, oh, man, we go to a great church. I'd love for you to join me some Sunday. I'd be happy to meet you at the front doors, outside the front doors, and let you sit with us. Whatever is the case, the message needs to match the moment. Your job is not to go around saving people. You can't do that anyway. You couldn't save yourself. Half the time, you forget to brush your teeth or take your pills. Right? I mean, I was thinking about, hey, Dean, I'm right there with you, but I, I was watching as our worship leaders were leading this morning, and Tori and John were down here bouncing on their knees this low, and Dean was having to take a knee. That's what age does to you. I got in a bind being my age and still uh, heavily nursing an ACL reconstruction at the grocery store yesterday because the bag of chips I was after was at the back of the lowest shelf. And so I thought, I'm going to get one of those. And I got it right about here and thought, I'm going to have to think about this. I couldn't get down because the floor is too hard. And I was looking around as I was currently embarrassing myself, trying to figure out how to get and Jake said, well, what brand was it? And I was like, never mind. Mind your own business. Um, because it never occurred to me just to stand up and get some tortilla chips that were where I could reach them. Right? We're no one's hope. We simply have hope to share. But we are called and commanded to share it. And as we do, Jesus says, I promise to be with you. It's my job to save. It's my job to create interest. It's my job to give you divine encounters. Your job's to listen and be willing to share. That's my challenge to you this morning. Would you this week maybe write yourself a little note and before you leave the house tomorrow morning, Maybe you're not going to leave the house tomorrow morning. Whatever the case is, wherever you are in your season of life, say, God, today let my heart and mind be centered on you. Send me people to share your love with. And give me the discernment to be willing but not weird, God. Give me the discernment to hear and to, to feel and to sense what's going on as you give me opportunities to be a witness for you. That's my challenge to you. Would you do that? And then would you do it Tuesday and would you do it Wednesday? And then here's the thing. God's going to give you opportunities. And as he does, man, some of them are going to be home runs. I just mean that they're going to go really well. And some of them are going to not go really well. And some of them you're going to know are right in front of your face. And you're going to hear my voice in your head. And you're going to hear the Spirit of God inside you. And you're going to go, uh-uh. I just can't. Hey, God loves us. God knows where we are. Right? But take the challenge. Be awake. Be willing. Let's stand. You're made for this, church. You are made for this. Otherwise, we don't need you in the world, right? God could have just sucked you right on up 
into the presence of Christ right now. But he's got something for you to do. Just a minute, the band's going to lead us. We're going to respond and we're going to reflect and worship. I invite you, if you're a baptized believer and you feel so led to step out at any time while we're singing, make your way to a communion station in the front or in the back, take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, move off to the side. And as you do, as you do, you're reminding yourself again and again and again that it is the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus that offers you continual forgiveness and restores you. Maybe that's where you are this morning. As you receive communion, just pray, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. God, create in me a pure heart. Revive in me a passion to be your witness. Let's pray. Thanks so much for joining us online at the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us.